This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? dramatic or like sort of understated or what this is a land that prays for a hero the humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival you are listening to greening the apocalypse on triple r102.7 fm Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of Greening the Apocalypse, 3 Triple R's weekly analysis of the massive human mental paralysis, uh, the conundrums that uh, dictate our lives and hopefully some of the solutions to them. Bushy's my name and joined in the studio is the magnificent one, Adam Grubb. How are you? Sub-magnificent. Sub-magnificent. I'm not saying anything about my state of being. I mean, I feel not, I feel great, but oh, I, I don't think I can live up to that. Yeah. How are you doing? Good. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. Um, I am... I keep popping my shoulder out, and I keep popping my shoulder out doing... What do you mean? It literally just comes out of its... Socket? Not, the di- not yeah. a dislocation of the okay. actual joint, but like just that area i'm mm-hmm. get, i'm starting to get these old man things like well, you, do, you do swing large you're kind of like for anyone that hasn't um seen bushy you're kind of basically obelisk out of asterix right yeah you know you lift and that what you do for a job is lift giant stones around so it's not surprising yeah that you but here's <laughs> the thing i don't do injuries doing that i do Your injuries pants don't come up that far though well they can but it's a little <laughs> bit um I don't hurt myself doing that. I hurt myself generally picking up a, a, a toddler who's like having a tantrum. Or in the case of last week, I had a very small circular saw. I was docking down some old hardwoods for kindling. And I just sort of reached funny and oh, there it is. I would give my eye teeth to know how people, uh, people who aren't sort of generally able-bodied and moving around and stuff, how they get by the day without collapsing into... I don't know, like a coma, because I, as, mm. yeah, I keep fairly fit and I'm, I've got sort of a fairly good general strength. But I can, you know, I once put my back out sneezing while sleeping, uh, sweeping the floor, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> that was brutal. Oh, it's insane, yeah, Adam. Yeah. It is insane. Jed McCartney is punching the panel. Evening, how are you, Bushy? Adam, not literally punching the panel. Um, not yet. Uh, what are we going to do first, Adam? Well, on the weekend, Sarah Coles and myself uh, Skyped Pat Collins, who is a herbalist who's written tons of books, about ten of them, with titles like Pat's Herbal Recipes and Oh No, Not the Young Impultus Again. Um, Her latest is The Wondrous World of Weeds, Understanding Nature's Little Workers, and it's a guide to all things, all weeds, edible and medicinal. Uh, this This is Pat Collins. Pat, it is really lovely to hear your voice, and it's not the first time I've heard it, I guess we, we probably should clear the air here that we've got you on on Green in the Apocalypse today to talk about your wondrous book, The Wondrous World of Weeds, Understanding Nature's oh, Little yeah. Wonders. You've written several books on the top, well, two books on the topic of weeds in particular and uh, several other books on herbal medicine and other related topics. I've written no, nowhere near as impressive because I've written half a book 
on the same topic <laughs> uh, with Annie Razor Roland. Oh, thank you, Pat. And it, but but yeah, we are in direct competition here. <laughs> but but actually, I wouldn't have um, got into this topic of edible weeds and medicinal weeds probably if it wasn't for you. I, so can I tell you a little a little story? Yeah. Back in two thousand and four, I was weeding the garden, and I realised I didn't know what this weed was that I was pulling out, and I found it in a herbal medicine book that I had. It was lovely little delicate wintergreen, Stellaria media, Mm -hmm. chickweed. And I I had this experience as I read about it that like, wow, you know, here's this thing that's for free. I ate it. It tasted all right, somewhat (laughs) grassy. (laughs) But I I was sufficiently impressed that I thought, you know, I should go and find out if there are any more weeds that you can eat. And I went to the state library a couple of weeks later just hoping that I would find a book on the topic. And there I came across this lovely little self-published book, uh, Useful Weeds at Our Doorstep, by one Pat Collins, the Hunter Valley Herbalist. (laughs) (laughs) And I read it cover to cover and very much enjoyed the experience and recognised so many of the weeds. And I, I actually went online and I found how to buy it on your website, Pat. And the next morning when I woke up, I had this strange sensation on my lip, a little tingly sensation. And my girlfriend at the time took one look at me and she had been worried that she was going to give me cold sores. (laughs) My girlfriend at the time happened to be uh, the woman (laughs) next to me, Sarah. (laughs) Do you remember this? No, I can't remember this. (laughs) So, so you were you were you were you were always like worried that you would give me cold sores. Yeah. And that that particular morning, I woke up, and it was the morning after having ordered Pat's book and had this brand new obsession, edible and medicinal weeds. And you took one look at me. I hadn't even mentioned the tingly <laughs> sensation, and you said, "Oh, dude, I think it's finally happened. I think I've given you a cold sore because there was a welt there." Yeah. And I knew from the Zavirax commercials that you have to get onto this thing when you feel the tingle. And I, and so I, I knew I'd also read in this marvelous little book, a recipe for a kind of, if, if you'll excuse a phrase, Pat, a kind of hippie Zavirax. And so I went back to Pat's website and, I, and this time I found your phone number and I can't remember if I had to go through a secretary or something, but eventually I got you on the phone, Pat. And mm. I don't know if you remember this. I, it would be strange yep, if you did, I but remember. you do. And you were so you you were so lovely about it. I think I must have said something along the, along the lines of, "Well, you don't know me, but." <laughs> yeah, you were surprised. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I read your book yesterday. Only I have an emergency on my hands, could you please tell me what the weed was in your cold sore ointment cream? Because I remembered that it was in there. I couldn't remember what it was. And do you remember what you said, Pat? Yep. Blackberry nightshade. Blackberry nightshade. And you told me, just take a look out the back door and it'll be there for sure. And sure Mm -hmm. enough, it was. And uh, 
I followed and you were so patient with me. You gave me instructions on how to uh, chop it up and turn it into an ointment. And I put it on my, um, my cold sore and it worked an absolute treat or since I've never had a cold sore since it may have just been a false alarm in the temple. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember any of this. <laughs> um, but thank you so much, Pat, and um, welcome properly now after that very extended introduction um, to greeting the apocalypse. <laughs> it is really great to have you here and, and to hear your warmth and enthusiasm once again. Um, hi, Pat. I just wanted to know, um, what was the last weed that you ate? What was the last weed I ate? I was just eating one this morning. What was I eating? I think I found a bit of chickweed. Yeah, chickweed's just coming up after all the rain. I think I had a little bit of that, and before that, I had a little bit of fennel. I was eating my fennel seeds. Yeah, they're very yummy. So, is that a typical start to the day for you? Uh, get up, wander in the garden, eat a few weeds. Mm, I do do a lot of that. So, I usually go over and I have my drink of vinegar and apple cider vinegar and water, and then when I come back from um, giving the dog a bit of a run, I um, I start having a bit of a chew around the place. <laughs> um, so, uh, did you first start getting into learning herbal medicine when your daughter was a baby? Is that right? That's right. Yeah, back in the eighties, um, I was you know, fully qualified when I was eighty nine. Yeah, my Kimmy was just a little little one, and my son was only about I don't know, he's a few, couple of years older. And I just wanted to. I'm, I'm always into self sufficiency. I've always loved all that sort of thing. And, you know, build your own brick brick house and do your bees and milk your cow and all that sort of thing. And when I heard about, when I found out about weeds and plants and things that I could use medicinally, I thought, wow, I can look after my family. I can do so much. So that really got me going. Yeah. So you did, were you doing a course by correspondence at the start? Yeah, I did back in those days, back in correspondence. Yep. 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 Back, um, I did a Queensland Institute of Natural Science. And um, I started off with just a like just a home course, a six month home course, and I thought I just love this. And uh, Simon Schott, who was the person that wrote the course, um, he actually wrote about you know using chickweed and using you know all the different weeds and things around you. And I thought, oh, fantastic! I know what to do with these things. You know, more self sufficiency stuff, of course. Um, and I just think it's great to be able to understand what's around you. Yeah. So did it have a massive impact on? On your world, once once you started learning, yeah. Lessons. Well, well, basically it did because I was um, I'd left school. I didn't know what to do. So my parents sent me to secretarial course. I mean, crikey, I never loved that thing. But <laughs> anyway, I did nine years at the Valley Generals Department, and then I left and had children. Um, travelled, did a lot of travelling, and then I, then you know you get to that time when the kids are young, when you think, my God, my brain's dying. Um, I better get something to get it going again. So that's when I started learning about herbs because I've always loved gardening. I've always gardened in some form, mostly vegetables and things like that. I knew nothing about herbs or I knew nothing about the weeds. Um, and so I, but when I found this sort of thing, I thought, wow, this is a new world. And it did. It opened a completely different world. I, I started teaching this with some TAFE and outreach and privately and then I've started being a herbalist so I've been a herbalist now practicing as a herbalist for 23 years now and now I even teach students 
um, in the naturopathy course how to make things and create things because I've learned so much and I do so much in this area. Let's let's talk about uh, weeds, which are by definition almost plants that we consider undesirable. Actually, do you have a working definition for a weed you'd like to share with us? Oh, look, basically I always say that a weed is just a plant um, growing in the wrong spot. So if you know the good use for it, it's not a weed, is it? So my garden's covered in what most people would call weeds. I remember one time I brought some students along and they said, well, where's the garden? I said, well, we're standing in the middle of it. Um, because all around me I've got all these different plants growing and most of them would be would be thought of as weeds but to me I use the nettles I use the fennel I use the patties loosened um, a chickweed so they're not weeds to me do, do you actually have any idea how many wild plants you use medicinally or edit or or you eat oh jeez probably 50 or something there'll be a lot of them um, I, I and they vary from about season 100 season. in your book alone so well yeah the, the new book that I've written um it's got over 100 weeds, but some of those plants aren't growing just here. Some yeah. of them are just, um, I've had to go down the coast to find them or um, just um, just in a few different areas because they grow all over Australia, but they also grow all overseas, and that's why my book now has become an international seller as well because, you know, weeds are with us. They follow us around. They're amazing little creatures, or well, plants, I should say. They surely are. Well, before we get on to some of your favourite weeds, then let's let's talk about what what makes a weed a weed and why they follow us around so readily. Have Have you had a chance to think about? Now I know that we've shown uh, so Annie in my book, the Weed Foragers Handbook. We've shown it to people from different parts of the world, from France, uh, South Africa, New Zealand, Canada to people who themselves are foragers and they make the observation that there is a very large overlap of plants that we call weeds here in Australia and plants that they call weeds where they come from. And yet these are plants that come from all corners of the plant kingdom. They're not like related to each other necessarily. And yet there's something about these plants which does seem to make them follow in the footsteps of humans. Have you got any thoughts on that? Well, you know, a good example would be plantain. This is a really common plant. And the American Indians always called it white man's foot because basically behind white man came this plant following him. And you can go all over the world and find this plant. I mean, we carry it in, in stock food, we carry it in with plants and things like that. And those little weed seeds, they're survivors. And some are much worse survivors than others, you know, like some have a massive amount of seeds. And you won't get rid of them no matter what you try because they'll always come back later on. Um, some of them are very, you know, I'm not saying that... Like my, my book with the wondrous world of weeds is a lot of the useful ones, the medicinal ones and so forth that I could find, but there's many ones that are a bit of a nuisance and I'm certainly not encouraging people to um, propagate um, some of the more difficult weeds, that's for sure, or even some of these ones, because there is things like bathyspurs and things like that that are a real nuisance. But yeah, they follow us in seed, um, they come across with birds. I mean, how do we know when some of these plants have been around, how long? How long, for instance, has Paddy's Lucen been around? Um, you know, there's, there's, there's information that the um, Aboriginal people used it for diarrhoea. 
so have we brought it and it's just gone back that far or has it come back further? Um, how about um, another plant called inkweed that comes from South America? Now, I was told by some Aboriginal elders that this is what women's business. They use this plant and have used it for a very long period of time. So where are, have these plants actually come from? But they just... I always think of weeds a bit like ourselves. You know, we come into a country like a weed and we take over um, and poor Indigenous people just have to, you know, be pushed back a little bit um, and then we, we just have to accept that we're here. So let's work with us. Let's, let's work with our plants. Let's understand them and, um, and be able to use them. Right. Well, I, there is a... So, we, yeah, it's an interesting point that it's in the colonial nations where anti-weed mentality is at its strongest. And it's certainly made me think that um, Europeans and other colonists are very much akin to an invasive species. And there's a lot of, well, obviously, like, well-grounded guilt associated with that, um, living on stolen country. And part of our dislike of the weed might be, in some ways, a, a, a very understandable and um, decent thing to do is to try and put things back to how they were environmentally. And that means demonising these plants from outside. Do, do you feel any... I, I, I agree with you, Adam. Um, but basically, um, are you going to get rid of these weeds? Let's be honest. I mean, that some of these plants are here to stay. Um, look at the cathead. Now, there's a good example. Started in Western Australia and went right across Australia. Now, the birds have even adapted to eat, eating those. I mean, it would be great to say we've got to get rid of them. Um, and we do. We should all do our little bit of, of digging them out and trying to do grow better crops over the top and encouraging our natives, I'm all for that. And you will find that that a lot of the weeds will grow in an area where there's, um, you know, you've chopped up the vegetation or you've chopped up the road or whatever or where there's certain minerals missing and those weeds have then have come back up. They're nature's little workers and they're putting all that goodness back into that soil. So we need to also look at the, why the weeds are there. If everything's in perfect balance, I, I went to a farm not long ago with Landcare and there's a farmer out there that's trying to encourage to grow his natives again um, under his crops. And this has actually wiped out a lot of the weeds because he's got more balance back there and he's put and he's really looked after the soil. Um, and you'll see he's still got weeds, but they're not invasive and they're not a big problem. Mm. Um, the only place you see them in problem is where he had his sheep and they've wrecked the, wrecked the ground there and they've overgrazed, so therefore weeds have come back up to try and colonise that ground. Yeah, well, this really gets yeah. uh, back to that earlier question, I think, of why these plants that we call weeds tend to follow agricultural, industrial, colonial <laughs> humans like the, yeah. around the world and are in all these different parts is that these are plants which tend to be short-lived, produce a lot of seed, like you mentioned, and they are plants which are adapted to disturbance. And yeah. that seems to be something that we are particularly good at doing as a species, at least the post, you know, indigenous uh, ones of us. 
But you've only got to look at an area, haven't you, where you've built a dam or something like that or where the cattle have been they've stamped out a yard. You see all the weeds come back up, you know, like, and that's, that's what they're, they're there to try and fix up our mistakes. Always look at plants and, and see what nature's trying to, how it's trying to help us. Well, I absolutely agree with that. That was the first part of our interview with Pat Collins, author of The Wondrous World of Weeds, in which I also let out on air that Sarah has an infectious disease. Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. You are on Greening the Apocalypse on 3 Triple R. We're going to continue now our interview with Pat Collins, a Hunter Valley herbalist, author of The Wondrous World of Weeds. So a, lot of, a lot of these plants, which are much maligned, uh, often doing some environmental benefits in some cases by mm-hmm. providing that green Definitely. cover that stops the, the bare earth that we've created washing away. And it's also of these class of weeds, these ones that are short-lived, tend to produce a lot of seed, that we find a dramatic percentage of them uh, edible or medicinal. Why don't you tell us about a couple of your favourites and why you like them? Oh, I really like nettles, good old stinging nettles. Um, out where I live, which is a little area that's surrounded by Baltimore National Park, we grow a lot of native nettles out here. And nettles have got so many uses. And if you look at nettles all over the world, it's a plant that everyone knows because I always tell people, as long as it stings you, it's right, it's a stinging nettle. So um, you can't go wrong that way. And how many uses it's got? It's such an edible plant. It's so high in nutrients. Um, It's got all the different nutrients. It's a beautiful chlorophyll with really deep green colour. Overseas, it's particularly in Europe, places like Sweden, they actually grow it as a crop and they cut it down and the cattle eat it. So it's got wonderful uses for animals as well. That doesn't sound um, very pleasant for, them, pleasant for them. Sorry? <laughs> I presume that the sting doesn't affect them or they dry it out before they eat it. Yeah, well, once it dries out, the sting goes a lot. Yeah. Um, of yeah. course, you've only got to pick stinging animals with gloves, be careful, um, and dip them into boiling water and the sting's gone. Or you dry them. Don't be, but even when you dry them, you be a little bit careful because sometimes they can give you a little bit of a sting still. So you've got to really process them pretty well. But um, you can make quiches out of them. You can make pies out of them. You make soups out of them. You can do all sorts of things with nettles. They really have a very wide range of uses. And even the seeds have got enough oil in them to run lamps. Um, and they use a the fibre overseas in India to make material. You know, I could go on and on about that plant, but also it's very, very good for your garden and very good um, bot, uh, with, with its good permaculture principles because actually what it does, it actually strengthens the um, essential oil in plants. So if you grow it near your peppermint, you'll have better essential oil in that plant. And if you grow it in the, um, no, grow it in tomatoes, your tomatoes will last a lot longer. And you can make beautiful compost with it. So, um, and, you know, just chop it down and put it back down in the soil. Lovely nitrogen-rich soil you'll, you'll create from it. Are there any, um, are there any ways that you don't like? <laughs> Yeah, I do find some thistles a real nuisance. I've just been pulling up that many farmers' friends this morning. It's not funny. Yeah. Um, some you see, farmers' friends do have some uses, but uh, fifty million aren't, aren't so useful. And the little black seeds that get stuck into you is a real nuisance. Um, there's 
and saffron thistle. You know, even though I can write the poor man's um, saffron oil, oh, they're a pain. So we dig them up all the time. So, And we also dig up bathyspur, even though that has some medicinal uses. I mean, you can say that some things have medicinal uses, but if they're when they're such a nuisance um, growing in areas that... Um, you know, where they'll take off because their seeds are so prolific. Then, you know, the good old hoe out there for a few hours um, every week or something for a little while and you get rid of them in no time. So but that's why we, we tackle these things. But there's many other ways of doing it, of course, with goats and all sorts of things. <laughs> I also have a big blackberry problem in this area too. Um, blackberries come down the creek. And because they're noxious weeds, noxious weeds can be difficult and you've got to try and keep on top of them. Much right. well, as I love the blackberries. Well, it's, a, it's a complicated love-hate relationship sometimes with weeds. It is, it is. And when you're on a farm, you've got to find that balance. Now, one, one way of dealing with weed problems is to eat them, to eat the invasives, <laughs> which your book will yep. be a fantastic guide for anybody interested in that. Now, as you said, there's a lot of information on the internet, some of it in... Um, scientific journals, uh, but yeah, really to get documented knowledge on the issue of edible and medicinal weeds, it's about going back to old books, isn't it? And it seems to be particularly in you know the Anglo culture that there's been several generations now where the knowledge of what's edible in the world around us has been lost, and it's, which is weird because. We still love free things. And here are these plants which take zero effort to grow. Anybody can grow them, even if they don't want to. And they provide intensely nutritious food and absolutely free. But no one's ever slapped a price tag on them. So when they're knocked down to zero dollars, it's not like, you know, somehow they, they escape our attention. So uh, is that why? Do you have any... Do you have any thoughts about why they've fallen out of favour? A lot of people so are very frightened of identification. They're frightened they're going to poison themselves. Mm. Um, mm. One of the reasons I actually, this new book that I've got here, and I didn't print it myself, um, New Holland Press printed it because I couldn't afford to put out all those beautiful photos. There's over 300 photos. Identification is so important. You know, most of my time I spent trying to find useful weeds and trying to find which ones they were. And once I got the names of them, I knew what they were, the botanical names, well, then you can go for it. So that's mm. the beauty of having some information on what is useful around the place um, and really identifying it well. I do think, because I've taught thousands of students, and they all say the same thing, I'm frightened, I can't identify it, I'm frightened, I'm going to poison myself. And yet there is so very few... Um, little fast-growing green plants that grow in your garden that you're going to poison yourself with. Even things like pity spurge, all you do is get a burnt mouth. You know, like, um, it's not as though, you know, there's going to be some great poisoning going on here, though, of course, I would encourage you to have good identification. But, yeah, just learning a few, just like you were talking about before, learning about your chickweed, learning about your fat hen. They're simple plants to learn about and find out their uses. And they grow so readily. And dock, all docks are edible. All clovers are edible. You know, so you can't go wrong with those sort of things. The dandelion, even the false dandelion is edible. So, again, you can't go wrong with that one either. There's nothing quite like it. And even people talk about blackberry nightshade. Oh, I might get it mixed up with um, deadly nightshade. Deadly nightshade doesn't look like it at all. The flower's completely different and grows very few places around it grows. That's belladonna. It's probably so, worth um, mentioning, though, that there are... 
a couple. There I don't are. Know you've, you, got to, you've got to know that there are some, yes, for sure. Yeah, we get hemlock yeah, in Melbourne, which looks weird. remarkably mm-hmm. similar to when young to a, a, a carrot, a carrot top. And um, there's also Queen Anne's Lace, which is a wild carrot. And I certainly wouldn't encourage anybody to go foraging for that because if you mistake it for hemlock, you will be eating the famously deadly plant, possibly one of the most deadly plants in the world that killed Socrates for his final meal. Yeah, and that's, that's where identification is so important. But there is a herb called Bishop's Weed, which we do call Queen Anne's Lace, that has a tremendous lot of good uses. So um, it's called False Queen Anne's Lace, that one, or Bishop's Flower. And um, but again, identification. Hemlock does have a very distinctive smell, so we do need to. But some, but like I say, some really common little plants are easy enough. And but if you look in the um, the tomato family, the selenium family, now a lot of those we have fantastic medicinal uses. But there are some poisonous plants in that that family as well. And blackberry nightshade, while being so edible, when you've got the lovely blackberries. But when the green berries aren't so edible, you know, they're full of solenum, so you don't want to eat those ones. So, yeah, knowledge, very important. I think we need more workshops, more identification, more people going out there showing people what they can eat and what they can use. I think this is really important. Um, I've got a question for both of you, Adam mm-hmm. and Pat. Um, okay. Adam, you co-wrote a book about weeds with Annie Razor Rowland called The Weed Forager's Handbook. And, Pat, your latest book, The Wondrous World of Weeds, if I was lost in the wild and I had to eat weeds to survive, whose book would help me to live? Well, I Pat's I book is I've about... I have got a bit more variety. It's got, um, yeah, way a bit more. I think, I think you'd tire out carrying that, that massive tome around. Mine fits in the back pocket. Yes, it does. Yours is a great... Um, I think this is a great little one for about... Is it 20 weeds? 20? Uh, there's, I think there's 20 main weeds and then there's about 15 mm-hmm. other... Short, yeah, so short I always found your foragers' books is good for just um, things to eat, whereas mine's much more broad. Oh, so if I injured myself, original. yours would help me live. <laughs> 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 so the answer is your book. I'm pinching her as we speak. Um, <laughs> it is worth noting these, these uh, incredible plants that we call weeds tend to be the perfect antidote to the Western diet because they are high in nutrients and low in calories, but you probably oh, wouldn't be able to live Adam, off them definitely. for very long. You're probably, in both cases, you would die. Okay. Sorry, that's the short answer, Sarah. <laughs> well, I often say to people, look, if you could just eat your weeds and put them all into your diet, into your salads and things like that on a regular basis, you're going to need all those vitamin and mineral caps, capsules and, vit- and supplements. You know, just try and get it into your diet. That's the way of doing it. Absolutely. Well, Pat Collins, it has been um, so lovely to talk to you again. And um, we wish you all the best with your book, The Wondrous World of Weeds, Understanding Nature's Little Workers which is out by New Holland Publishers, and um, I hope to talk to you again one day. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Pat. Thank you. Greening the Apocalypse is the show you are listening to and have been uh, well, for nearly 100 episodes now. Coming up in a couple of weeks, we'll be up to episode number 100. Um, one of the reasons I was quite motivated to take this show on when we first had a chance was because I wanted to be exposed to some very interesting people and thinkers and experts um, who could help to inform me of um, an occasionally fraught and certainly very uncertain future 
and that therefore I'd be able to pass the information on to my children and family. One of those people is in the studio this evening. Um, his on-air name uh, currently is Shrubby. You happy with that? Yes, yeah. We, we did discuss... Uh, Chook Boy was floated, wasn't it? Not so good. Mm, no. I get that. What did you want? Just Shrubby. Just Shrubby. Shrubby yeah. works. Shrubby's good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, what did you think of uh, that interview before about weeds? Cool. Cool. Yeah. You, you, you and your sister know a little bit about edible weeds because of Adam's good um, book. Yeah. What's, what, which ones do you guys mostly eat around the place? Oxalis, mallow, fat hen, chickweed and blackberries. Yeah, those are your favourites, nice. aren't they? Yeah. Mm. Um, Adam, just quickly, one thing to know with oxalis, you, it's, not, it's a little, it's a sometimes food, isn't it? It's not a... You oh, have to work pretty hard to overdose on oxalic acid. You have to work pretty hard, but yeah, it is. There is one recorded death to drinking, to having too much French sorrel. Ah, yeah. okay. We've yeah, got so sorrel. You could, you, could, you could do the same, mm. but you know, it's eaten by millions of people around the world. Indeed, eat in moderation. No worries. Yeah. So that was our segue. That we were talking about weeds before, and now we're going to segue into what is most definitely your favourite thing in the world, which is chooks. Um, the, what what weeds do you usually go and pluck out of the garden for our chooks? Um. Fat hen, uh, fat hen, chickweed, and comfortor, uh, and also sort of grasses and lawn, lawn species and like that sort of, that sort of stuff. Mm, they love a bit of grass, don't they? Yep. Yeah. When we get around to it, we'll have to work out how we can put them out on the grass where so they don't shred up the garden. Yes. Indeedy. But um, we've got you. In, we've got you in to do a wrap up. You're a little bit like the post match reporter in the football. Only it's not post match. It's post poultry auction. <laughs> Um, is it fair? Is it fair to say that you have quite a bit of knowledge about chooks, Shrubby? Yeah. I th- you're not being, you know. I'm not you, bragging. You're not bragging. You're just telling it as it is. How, ma- how many? Just, just out of interest, how many breeds of chickens do you reckon you could name? I'm not going to hold you to it. So. Sixty, maybe. All right, name them. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what were some of the, oh, you know, the auction, I mean, look, so we've joined a poultry club and the auction was pretty awesome. We had to register and get a bidding number and then had to sort of go around and silently kind of try and outbid some people. But what, there was some amazing birds there, was there not? What was, but other than the ones we got, what were some of your favourite ones that were very quickly out of our price range? <laughs> well, I did like the golden pheasant, except we didn't try to bid on that one. Mm. Golden pheasant, so not even a chook. An actual pheasant. Yeah. Did you did you happen to see one of those today? About five. What? Okay. But didn't you see a giant one as well? Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you go? I went to. It was Gumbaya Park, wasn't Gumbaya it? Gumbaya Park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that must be quite a thrill for the um, poultry fancier. Anyway, do yeah, continue. So what on. other what other fancy ones did you see at the auction? I saw I saw peahens. Mm. I also saw them today at Gumbaya Park. But I saw these Polish, Polish chickens, and mm. they're not actually a Polish breed. Their name is Polish, mm. and because you could pick them up and use them to polish things. No, not that type. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I made a dad joke. You just have to That's get a good, good around me. It just flows naturally, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> that was a, that was a pretty good dad joke for Adam, wasn't it? Mm, sure. <laughs> what sort of what sort of chicks do you get at home? Yeah, well, let's the, get down to it. we bought on Sunday two leghorn bantams and a blue laced wyandot. But then what happened is that just as we were coming out to the shed to pick the chickens up, 
this man said, do you want these two free partridge wine dots? So... I'm, I'm going to Google this as we talk just to see what they look like. <laughs> partridge wine dot. We... We got these two partridge wine dots, mm. the bantams, and then we went to pick up these, the corns, and blessed wind up. Yeah. So you got a couple of bonus chooks. Bonus chooks. Woohoo! And, Not and just any chooks, they're very clamorous. Sammy named one of the, um, one of the, um, one of the partridge wine dots, Amy. Amy, Amy wine dot. <laughs> um, and I, I, we, have, we actually have naming wars, don't we? You and I have naming battles. <laughs> Oh, so many. <laughs> you, you tried to call one of the black chickens charcoal buns, didn't you? Charcoal chicken. Oh. oh and you tried yeah. to call one of the leghorns crispy. That was a really bad name. <laughs> it wasn't a great but I also... Did, did you win that naming war? It yeah. sounds yeah. like you did. Uh, well, no, kind of dad did. Well, no, there's a compromise. He said Mary. Mary. Yeah, it was Mary. short for Mary Nade. <laughs> <laughs> but um, hey, if there's some other kids listening out, because you you've sort of really stepped up. You know, you're our chicken guy. You've got the overalls. Yeah. You've got the boots by the back door. You practice yep. really good hygiene and all those sorts of things. There's probably some kids out there still listening now. School holidays, and, and you know, the parents have probably said you want to listen to a master chook kid. Um, you know, what what would you recommend for people living in the suburbs or even in a little bit more land? I mean, the Bantams are pretty good, aren't they? What what would your recommendation be for any kid listening out there who wants to really get involved in chooks like you? Like have? poultry, poultry, generally well, anything. Maybe not chooks because when they lay an egg, they're a bit flustered. Maybe if they want ducks, a Muscovy duck. Mm-hmm. They're one of the most silentest breeds. They're only quite like really quacky when a fox attacks and that if i was a muscovy duck probably would do that you would do that you can't hold that against them (laughs) indeed but the bantam the bantams are good as well and they're a little compact bird and they don't have a massive appetite they've got a very very cool little average appetite average appetite yeah Mm -hmm. because we saw some massive chickens there the other day and And they they eat a lot Indeed, they do. Uh, is there anything else you want to touch on before we go to a... I've got a Chook-themed song for you. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Um, is there anything else you want to sort of say to wrap up from the poultry auction the other day or to say to any kids out there are keen on getting into poultry? If, like, if you want to have a start on getting poultry, my recommendation is, like, getting some really breeds that are quite... Are not... So, like, some bantams, mm-hmm. maybe to start off, like, or maybe eyes of browns and bantams, that sort of stuff. They can get into, like, the seb- sea rights and, like, the australops and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And they're corns and they're really... But start simple. Yeah, start mm-hmm. simple then, get but, into... Because these are easy breeds. So they don't... Like, you don't have to, like, I don't know, give them CPR that often. They, yeah. they kind of take care of themselves. Well, eyes of browns actually... You do need to do that a lot, yeah. <laughs> really? Well, yeah. They're a, bit, a little bit James Dean, aren't they? They live and they fast only, and they die young. They they lay lots of eggs, but they die like really quickly. So maybe if you're getting, if yeah. you're gonna get some chooks, I recommend maybe ostrilops and leghorns. They, they are live good. Yeah. They live longer. Like they yeah. live yeah. maybe three years or more. Also. Yeah, at least. Probably at even least. more. Yeah, six. Hey, We've we got might... a lot called Dickerish and she lives 
for six years. Licorice, that's the black trick I tried to call charcoal. <laughs> hey, thanks for coming in and thanks for scowling gently at me. It gives me great pride to be able to bring you in here. Um, that was a really good interview with Pat Collins, Adam Grubb. Thank you. Indeedy. And uh, thank you, Shrubby, for coming in for a chat. That's all right. I'll see you in the car. Um, Jed, thank you for panelling. My pleasure. Superb. Hey, what are we going to do next week, Adam? Next week we are talking to Candice Quartermain about a project she's involved with called Circular Economy. We will be seeing you next Tuesday, but until then, have all the fun. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.